in the web three era, I'll be able to go log into a play like a Facebook as an example. And then I'm say, Hey, cool. I built my following over there. I added my value over there. I have my content over there and I'm going to go connect it over here. All that stuff comes with me. It follows with me. So instead of the company owning that data, I, as a consumer or the user or the creator can own what I create. And then I can decide who gets access to that. And then the people that want to follow me go wherever I want to go. Welcome to the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast, where we guide you through the weird and wonderful landscape of artificial intelligence. I'm Rob Marsh. And I'm Kira Hug. We are the founders of the Copywriter Club, and our goal is to help you stay ahead of the curve. We are going to show you how to use these new AI tools to maximize your creativity, simplify your work and life, and reinvent your creative career so AI works for you, not against you. So whether you are a copywriter, a marketer, a creative professional of any kind, join us as we explore the intersection of AI, creativity, and career. When OpenAI launched ChatGPT to the masses way back in November, which feels like forever ago, it monopolized the conversation for so many copywriters and creatives. It felt like the world we knew would never be the same. Since then, I think it's safe to say many of us have become maybe a wee bit obsessed with generative AI, regardless of how often we actually use it in our daily lives. I mean, Rob and I, we did launch an entire podcast focused on AI, so I think it's safe to say we might fall into that camp. And if you've listened to more than one of these episodes, you're probably right there with us. The interesting thing is that some of the biggest changes happening in the tech world, changes that are going to impact the way that we run our businesses, serve our clients, solve problems moving forward, most creatives aren't even talking about them. So we might not even be aware of everything that's going on. And I'm talking about Web3, which is the next version of the internet and includes concepts like decentralization, blockchain, and token-based economics. To be honest, I've struggled. Rob, you know I've struggled to grasp Web3. And we've interviewed experts on this topic, and it's still I still struggle with it. But today's conversation is different. Our guest for today's episode of the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast not only knows what he's talking about, but he also knows how to teach Web3 in a simple way so people like me can actually understand it. I'm talking about Jordash Johnson, tech futurist and digital growth strategist who not only covers what Web3 is all about, but also why it matters to us as creatives and entrepreneurs. Jordash talks about Web3 opportunities that exist for our clients and even shares multiple real-life examples, including the Starbucks loyalty program. We also dig into the intersection between generative AI and Web3, which was so helpful. So if you run your business online, which you probably do, which is why you're listening to this show, Web3 is our future. So it's time to baby step our way towards understanding it, and we can do it together. Today's episode is a great way to start. Before we get to our interview, this podcast is sponsored by our AI course. It's called AI for Copywriters, Content Writers, and Creatives. Course slash adventure. We've gone back and forth on what to name it. What we call it isn't actually as important as what it includes. And we recently got a review from Debbie 
Cormode, who is a UX website designer. She gave the course five out of five stars. And she said, I bought this course to learn more about AI. I'd seen other courses, but didn't really trust the creators. And they were pricey. I know you both create awesome resources and the price was an amazing deal. So I bought the course. I was surprised that this course is updated regularly. I was worried about buying a course because the tech moves so fast that I thought that it might go out of date, but you update your course, which is brilliant. Oh, and the prompts are amazing, way more than I expected for the price. Thank you for that comment, Debbie. And she's right. It does include a lot of stuff. There is everything that you need to know about writing prompts so that what you get out of an LLM, a language model, is actually usable. It's good. It's helpful to the things that you want to do. It includes five lessons and modules that talk all about what generative AI is, what chat GPT is, how it works, and also the legal and ethical risks along with using these kinds of technologies and what it might mean to your business. There are more than a dozen different demonstrations of prompts. There are also a whole bunch of demonstrations of AI tools. We've included a prompt book with more than 109 different prompts, a tools list with over 100 different AI tools exclusively for writers and content creators, as well as 29 different ways that you can use ChatGPT in your writing business. To check out all of these resources and to get started, go to www.thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. Okay, well, let's kick off our episode with Jordash. Okay, Jordash, so talk to me about Web3 what it is and why it's important. Yeah. People always ask me like what Web3 is, but they're all like, well, what happened to Web1 and Web2? So let's, I'm going to start there. We'll talk about like kind of what the problem is with that. And then we'll talk about why it's important where we're kind of going. So Web1 kind of started in that early 90s, 91, 92 era and kind of came to that mid 2000 era. And that was kind of this read only environment, meaning this was when people, if you remember the argument of like, do businesses even need to be on the internet? Do they even need a website? If you remember that argument back at that time, right? It was only the big brands that had the internet, right? I remember a story or I remember going to my aunt's house because we didn't have dial-up. We'd go to my aunt's, we had dial-up. And I remember like logging in and looking at Coca-Cola's website for the first time and like being in awe of seeing this information that I could actually just read about Coca-Cola, which I didn't like Coca-Cola, but I, I say <laughs> all that because it was one of those points of time where people could actually put information out there that we weren't reading in, in a world book encyclopedia, but people could update that frequently enough, quote unquote, that we could actually stay informed with new information. But we, as the consumers, as the readers, couldn't do anything with it. Like we couldn't create any content. We could only read it. That's why we call that the read era, right? It was the, the, it was the web one was kind of the read era, but the value of that at that time was the internet then was really decentralized. And what I mean by that, it wasn't run by a select few big organizations or infrastructure plays at that stage, right? Um, it was kind of still spread out. It was still kind of new. There wasn't um, much control, meaning people dictating kind of how the internet was ran at that time. Now we moved to the web two era, which kind of started in that early 2000 timeframe. And now you'll see something here, like these time periods overlap. There's not like just a point in time of like, oh, web one's done, oh, we're in web two, right? And that's going to play importance of kind of where we're at with web three. But the web two era started, we call it the read-write era. This was the era where we could actually start creating content. And that was really engaged or that was allowed because of this, some of these new technologies, right? So if you remember, Facebook came out in 2004, 2000 time, uh, time frame, right? 
iPhones came out in 2007, right? Um, E-commerce really, PayPal was, was formed in 99, but really started taking off in early 2002, 2003, eBay. All these tools and these applications that were being built on top of the internet really started allowing us to do a whole bunch of other things as consumers. And so this was the area where we could actually start creating content. We could start engaging with content. We could start generating content or doing business online. That was at that stage. Now, the downside is as these applications as the, I would call them these advanced applications were being built on top of the internet, meaning these were the tools that were being built, software applications, um, technologies that were being built on top of that, they started being, we started consolidating power. And if you think about this, um, there's a stat out there right now, there's 90% of the internet is ran by Amazon Web Services, which is a cloud computing um, component of Amazon's business model. That's a huge amount. What percent was that? 90, nine zero. Oh, jeez. Right. And so if you remember when you, if you remember when um, this was maybe a few, maybe about a year or so ago, remember when Facebook kind of went down in a sense, like we couldn't log yeah. in, the, yeah. the, it went down because AWS went down, right? So like, if you think about like if AWS goes down, which runs Netflix, which runs Facebook, like all these big companies that are run on the cloud are run through AWS. Like that's AWS controls is the entry point. Like they control, they make the rules in a sense of the game, right? And the downside about that is unlike in web one, all these siloed centralized services, AWS, the, the Meta family, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, which own a big chunk of the social media population. You look at Apple that has their walled garden that has over a billion devices in our hands that owns the App Store. All these centralized services, they're run by the corporations. But the downside is all the value that is actually created in this internet era is actually being extracted by these, these, these select few. So we're doing all the work, we're creating the content, we're creating the conversations, we're doing all that, and they're just going to consistently extract value out of that, right? Which in, in, in the world of decentralization, like in Web1, the value was actually added or, or shared with the creators, with the builders, with the people that are actually building things and creating things that are adding value to the ecosystem. That's what was happening in Web 1 that wasn't happening in Web 2. And we've seen the downside effects of, you know, the social media with the algorithms and all the stuff that we didn't foresee. I, and I, I'm a firm believer social media will start with, like, with positive intentionality. And I think just technology has kind of taken a right-hand turn along the way with greed and power, et cetera. That's kind of shaped it the way it has. But the, I think it was created with a way to truly connect us. But the downside is it's had, you know, adverse effects on society, on, on, on peoples and mental health and all that good stuff. But I say all that because during the Web 2 era, there was some very good stuff that came out of that, which all these applications, all these things, like we didn't have the creator economy until Web 2 existed, meaning people having YouTubers, TikTokers. We didn't have shared economies like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and all this amazing stuff that came out of this era was powerful. The downside is only a select few people, power or, or companies can kind of control that. And we've seen that with the data with Cambridge Analytica scandal and, and, and the power of our, our consumer behavior and things like that. So that's web two. The problem I quote, I'm, I'm using air quotes if you're not watching the video right now with the internet right now though, is it really comes down to two things that I see. And this is what we talk about um, in, the, in, the, in the group that I run is we really cannot prove that we own anything of value in the virtual world or online. And if you think about it like this, and I, I use the example, like I'm, the shirt that I'm wearing or the, the pants that I'm wearing or the shoes that I'm wearing, these are all physical items in the real world that I actually own. And I can prove ownership. I have a receipt that says, Jordash Johnson bought this and this is in his closet. And he wear, like he owns this, this item of clothing or 
I bought a car. I can prove in the real world, this is a car. I have a, uh, a title or I have a deed to my house. All these things I can prove or I have or I own custody of them, meaning I can, can actually control those. In the online world, there's really not. Like there's no way for us to prove that. And, what, and, and so I, I'm gonna run through some examples here just to kind of paint this picture. Think about our money for a second. And I'm not gonna get political or philosophical on this, but just, just think about how we hold our money. Like our money stored in a bank account somewhere, right? We log on either through our phone or our app or through our phone or on the website. And it shows us a number that says, here's how much you have in your bank account. But like, we have to ask for permission to get that money out. We have to go to the bank and actually use our debit card to get that money out or ask for permission. Or we have to go online and we have to log in with the username and password, which a username and password is just a, a permission-based thing to log on to somebody's server to give us access to what's actually ours. Like our money's held by the bank. Like they hold our money. We don't actually control that. We look at our stocks and equity that you buy. If you buy stocks in your 401k or you have stocks that you buy on Robinhood, like we actually don't physically take the piece of paper that says I own the certificate of this company. It's just, they are, they are taking custody, meaning they are saying, hey, in our account or in your account on our servers says that you actually own part of that company. So we're going to put a, put something in an in a application say you actually own shares. But like, we don't actually physically own the piece of paper that, that proves our ownership, right? that's an actual problem. Now, it's not just like storing the value of money or stocks, but and this is also about like sending money online. So I have digital products or services. When I have to collect money from my clients or from my customers, they get an invoice or they have a Stripe account or there, there's something to check a checkout page. But if you think about that, we have to ask for permission to get that money from our customers because when a customer puts a credit card in online, Stripe processes the transaction. We have to ask for permission from Stripe to say, please let me have a Stripe account so you can process my customer's transactions. And then from there, it's gonna they're going to send it to my bank account, which I then have to ask for permission to get the money from my bank account to actually get the money in my hands if I want to do that, right? Versus if I actually have a dollar, if I have money in my physical hand in the, in the, in the real world or in the physical world, I can do whatever the heck I want to do with that money. I can spend it. I can give it to somebody. I don't have to, have to ask for permission. But in the online virtual world, I have to ask all these permissions to either get access to that or to spend money, which is all this permission-based ecosystem that I talk about. Now, going back to your a question of like, why should people pay attention? Because now think about this. We've probably heard at some point online in our digital, in our digital online experience as an entrepreneur that we should never build on rented land, right? We should never build our customer base on, on people that are on social media that they, if we get kicked off that platform, we lose access. But we still do it, right? We still hold they, like Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter. They hold our social accounts, but more so our followers. And, and, and what happens is I have to create an account with Facebook, build an audience there. Then I have to go over to Instagram, create an account on Instagram, build a following there. Then I have to go over here to YouTube, build a following there. So I have to go build followings in all these different places because I have to ask for permission to get access to all these platforms. This is really where it becomes a problem. Now, the last thing I'll, the last example, I'll talk about permission-based, which is impactful for us as, as, as entrepreneurs is our online reputation. If you have a business online, you probably have a Google star rating. If you run air, if you do any Airbnbs, you have a, you have a user rating. If you drive for Uber or Lyft, you have a driver rating. You have, if you sell any physical products on Amazon, you have a five-star rating or three-star rating, four-star rating, whatever. All these online reviews, all these online reputations, these are all held by those companies. We have to ask for permission to be able to to, to extract any of that information. Meaning if I leave Airbnb, I can't take my reviews with me or my star rating with me. If I leave Uber and Lyft, 
I can't take those star ratings with me. If I stop selling my product on Amazon, I can't take all those reviews with me unless I physically copy and paste and do all that stuff with it, right? But I do not have the original. So all these things that are happening, whether it's us spending money, storing money, or our online following or our online reputation, we can't take any of that stuff with us without asking for permission, right? So that's the problem with when we're talking about the internet. And so this is what I'm saying is Web2 has become a permission-based ecosystem, meaning we have to ask for permission for to extract anything that we own of value. And that's, that's the big problem what's happening right now is because these are all controlled by a centralized organization. So Web3 now is solving that problem by saying, hey, we love what we're doing in Web1 with the decentralization part of it, meaning it's a community governed kind of ecosystem, meaning there's not a lot of big corporations running this, but we love what happened in web two with all the advancements of tools and software and things that were actually built on top of the internet. We're gonna combine those together. And that's really what web three comes into play because what happens now is web three is kind of this next version of the internet that leverages blockchain technology, which it's like a curse word to some people, which we can talk about here in a second, but it allows us to really do three things. It allows us to have a seamless interaction between platforms. We call this word interoperability, meaning in the web three era, I'll be able to go log into a tool, let's say like a Facebook as an example. And then I'm gonna say, Hey, cool. I built my following over there. I added my value over there. I have my content over there. You know what? I'm done. I'm going to disconnect my quote unquote wallet, which we'll talk about. And I'm going to go connect it over here. All that stuff comes with me. It follows with me. So instead of, instead of the, the, the company owning that data, I, as a consumer or the user or the creator can own what I create. And then I can decide who gets access to that. And then the people that want to follow me go wherever I want to go. It's not just, I have my followers on Facebook. I have my followers on Instagram. I have my followers over there, right? So that's that seamless interaction between platforms we're talking about that happens is going to be happening in Web3. True digital ownership. There's actual things that are digital that are online that we can't physically touch with the blockchain. And this is the underlying technology that, that's, that's going to run or that is running Web3. This allows us to prove we actually have true ownership over digital assets in this space. Meaning just like I have a deed for my house, there's like a deed on the blockchain that proves that I, that the person that owns this wallet is the true owner of a video, of a picture, of content, of a video game avatar, of a skin in a video game. All these things that are digital that we can't prove ownership, blockchain allows us to do that. And then most importantly, I would argue is it gives us open access for all, meaning it's permissionless. Meaning as long as you have the internet, you can participate in this economy without worrying about getting denied by Stripe or having your funds held by Stripe, right? If you have, if you've had any experience, I used to have clients that do big launches. Next thing you know, Stripe or PayPal or whatever will put a four or six month hold on their money that gets tied up because they have to review their account or whatever it may be, right? That's not going to happen in the Web3 space, right? Because there's the underlying technology allows us to take custodial ownership, meaning we can control our own money, meaning money can come straight, straight to us without having to go through all these permission-based things. Or we have access to be able to create content without having to worry about, does somebody want to allow that or not? And there's there's downsides of that, but that's the beautiful thing about kind of what Web3 is going to be able to do. And the last thing I'll, I'll talk about that is going back to my example of like the physical t-shirt. 
Web3 is going to allow the internet to actually be more similar to like the physical world. Because right now, remember, if I go from one app to the other app, I can't take my stuff with me, right? That's in the physical world. That's like me getting dressed in my house and then wearing a shirt and says, hey, when I leave my house, I have to take my shirt off, leave it here, go to the mall, go buy another shirt just to go wear a shirt if I want to go to the mall there, right? That's like, that's what's saying. I create an account over here. When you leave here, oh, you got to stop. You got to go create another another account over here. If I want to wear my shirt from my closet to the mall, I should be able to do that. And that's what Web3 is going to allow us to do in the virtual world, which I say is it's going to make the internet more similar to kind of what the physical world's like, so. Okay, that was amazing. Thank you yeah. uh, for talking through it and breaking it down. So I recently left Twitter and- and I had a good following. So how do I do this? Like everything you're telling me, I'm like, okay, this sounds great. I want to do it. I want to take my Twitter following and carry it with me to any other platform, but it sounds like it's not there yet, or right. I am not. Okay. So can you yes. just provide the context and timeline yeah. so we know where we are in it? Great question. So a couple things here. If you remember when I was saying like web one to web two, there's not like yeah. a direct cutoff line, right? There's an overlap period of like, Things are being built and we're still kind of in the web one era. Things are being built web two. Then eventually we're going to look back and be like, oh, that's when web two kind of eventually kicked off. This is the same environment right now. So technically I would say web three technically started kicking off a lot more, probably around that 2020 timeframe, to be honest with you. Okay. So blockchain has been around. The first use case of blockchain was Bitcoin. That's why everybody wants to associate blockchain with cryptocurrency because Bitcoin is just a use case for this underlying technology of blockchain, right? Which kicked off in 2011 timeframe. So once again, it's been around for a while, right? The, 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 when we're talking about what we were just, some of the examples I was just talking about there is applications and tools have to be built on top of the blockchain to kind of start supporting this ecosystem. Now they are. Now we're not at the level of, Hey, just go up to sign up for our Facebook. But Jack Dorsey, former founder or co-founder of uh, uh, and CEO of Twitter, who's who sold it to Elon, he just uh, he's created a tool called Blue Sky, right? Which Blue Sky is a decentralized version of Twitter. Okay. Um, I just got to you can sign up for the waitlist. I think it's blsky.app. You have to double check that URL, something around there. Um, you can get on the waitlist and I just got access probably a week or so ago. So I'm playing around with that, but that's, that's a decentralized social application built on top of the protocols, right? Which is this. So all these applications that I'm talking about right now is all going to be connected by this thing called a digital wallet, right? Not like your Apple wallet on your phone, but it's going to become your new digital profile. Meaning not anytime soon, but eventually we're going to get away from usernames and passwords. The example I like to use is web one is username and passwords. Web two is sign in with Google, sign in with Facebook, sign in with Twitter, right? Web three is going to be like connect your wallet. And that's where we're going to eventually get to where you're going to start seeing applications saying, hey, instead of creating an account, you can just connect your wallet, which is our way of saying we store information in our wallets, whether that is an NFT, whether that is a, a digital identity to prove who we are, whatever it may be, whatever stored in our wallet is going to allow us to get access to a website, get access to that. So you're going to start seeing that um, come up a lot more. There's a tool right now called Unstoppable Domains. Um, I would encourage you, this is we probably the first thing as a creator, as an entrepreneur, I would start saying is go start grabbing your digital identity, meaning like I own Jordash.crypto, Jordash.nft, Jordash. All these different, it's kind of like your web URL, right? These are going to be kind of what your wallet names are going to be essentially at some mm -hmm. point in time is going to be your profile. So that's where you can start kind of start claiming your land in a sense. It's like kind of like claiming your social media profile right now. 
start okay. doing that, whether it's for your brands or whatever like that, you can buy it with a credit card and debit card. So you don't have to have cryptocurrency, anything like that. But that's going to be kind of your first step. Eventually, you're going to start seeing more and more applications being built that are going to allow us to start connecting our wallets. And we're going to start doing that. So Starbucks right now is doing a big beta test with their loyalty program called Odyssey. Um, that is their first NFT blockchain um, loyalty program, big use case that we're playing right now. And it's getting raved reviews and it's getting amazing use case um, and a lot of eyeballs on that. So like, we're going to start seeing some of these bigger brands start playing in the space, start leveraging this technology. Because here's the thing, everybody freaks out when I say the word blockchain or start like, oh my gosh, I don't know what that means. Da, da, da. And I'm like, that's great. You don't have to, right? You just got to be aware of it, right? Because I tell them, when you log on your computer right now, do you know how the internet works, how it gets connected? Do you know what protocols are being birthed to transfer data over here? Like that's the underlying technology that no one's us besides us nerds care about. Like eventually it's going to become like behind the scenes. So don't get too caught up on like the technology terms now. Just understand that, hey, start following people that you have trusted, that have trusted information around this estate. Start like staying in the loop and be, become exposed to this stuff. Start grabbing your digital profiles, I always tell people. And then as you start um, identifying some of these new, these new tools that are coming out, applications, whether you think you're going to use them or not, start playing around and start experimenting with them and being curious with them. Because like you said, right now, you can't just leave Twitter and take your followers with you. Because why? Because the infrastructure is not in built in Twitter for you to have a, it's not, it's not a built on the blockchain for you to extract that information and you actually own that, right? So there's going to be a turning, a shifting of the tides where eventually you're going to start seeing more applications like Blue Sky come out, things like that, where we actually start owning our stuff and people are either going to start leaving the platforms that aren't or these platforms that are currently with us right now, they're going to adapt and start allowing us to start connecting our wallets and connecting our, start taking ownership of our data and on the things that we create and we'll start doing with that. So like you can't do it today. But I would argue in the next one to two years, you're going to start seeing a lot more of this um, very, very quickly because it's going to move pretty quickly once people start getting their hands on this stuff. Yeah. And I wonder if you can, I feel like you provide such a persuasive argument to pay attention to this, but even for smaller business owners who are listening, like what is the appeal for them as far as helping their yeah. business? And then even also for service providers who work in the tech space, like what yep. is the opportunity there? Yeah, great question. So, um, I, I, my, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like my mom, she's she has a little brick and mortar store. She's been running. She's celebrated her 20th year anniversary this year. Um, and like, she's a one woman shop. Like, she's not like she's like I have no idea what you're talking about, George. But then when I start talking to her, I'm like, well, hey, like, think about your customers right now. Like, how would you like to reward your most most loyal customers? She's like, oh, I'd love to. She, I was like, well, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I don't know what people have bought. Like, I don't have. I don't like they. I can have their emails, but I don't have like. She sells things in in person, so it's not like she has a, a online um, tracker of every all the items that people are purchased, things like that, right? So like anybody in person, like loyalty program is going to be huge. Like the way that we know loyalty programs today is going to vastly change. Right. Because if you think about any loyalty program from hotels to travel to um, airlines to down to subway stamps or whatever your local restaurant is or whatever, like eventually those are going to move into an NFT that's stored on, in your wallet that's on the blockchain. Because here's what's going to happen is if, if I'm a service provider or if I have a if I'm a small business owner and I can reward somebody for buying something or purchasing something or showing up a certain amount of time, they get an, I can just give them an NFT to prove that they've actually done or showed up or consumed my content or whatever that action is. When they connect my wallet, they can have a completely different experience on my website 
or when they check out or whatever. Shopify already has this available right now on their mm -hmm. platform, which means if I'm an e-commerce store owner, if I have anything online that I sell through Shopify's platform, if somebody connects their wallet and they have a so an NFT, which is just think of it just like a membership card or something that I give to somebody, give them special access. That's a simplified way to think about it. They can see a totally different storefront, totally different prices, no more coupon codes, no more managing who gets access to what, no more saying, oh, I forgot my password and what email address. All they got to do is connect their wallet and they get a, a perfectly new experience, right? So this is going to allow you to reward your customers in new ways based off however you decide to do it. Means it, it opens up loyalty beyond just how much did you spend with me, right? Like, I'll give you an example. Like Starbucks right now is saying, hey, if you watch this video, you take this quiz, you do this, we're going to give you a digital stamp, which is an NFT underneath the hood, right? And that digital stamp unlocked a free drink if I show up and I show them I have a digital stamp, right? So like, that's just me taking actions. They can reward me for that. There's a tool out there right now called Ethermail. And I'm going to come back to small bit or to service providers here in a second that are paying people to, you pay your customers to actually read your emails through tokens, so it's rewarding the people participating to do that. Not like you're not actually paying them dollars, but you're paying them with virtual currencies that they then can redeem for whatever you want to allow them to redeem it for, right? So you're rewarding the people participating. So like th this whole economy of tokenizing, they call it tokenization. We're going to be able to reward people to watch our videos, to read our emails, to read our content, to do whatever we want to, to buy our products. We can reward them with our own kind of virtual currency, kind of like a coin on Mario Brothers, if you want to think of it that way, or uh, the, the digital currency on Fortnite, we can give it to our customers and they can then redeem it for whatever the heck we want to redeem it for. So like that's, that economy is going to, we're going to be able to create our own economy within our own ecosystem as a business owner, which is going to be an amazing experience. And that's both online and offline, right? Um, there's a big um, boba tea place in New York and San Francisco. I just saw just two weeks ago that they're, they're kicking off an NFT loyalty program for their in-person buys, right? So like whenever you do, like you earn these NFTs that can unlock a whole bunch of new experiences as well. That's one thing. Now on the service providers things, this is when it can become very appealing because for example, let's say I only can take on 10 clients. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make up a use case here for a second because this is something I've thought about as a, use, uh, a recovering agency owner. If I only can take on 10 clients and let's say it's $10,000 a month retainer I have, whatever it may be, we can make up a number. If a, a client of mine says, hey, I want your services, great. Instead of me just sending them an invoice, they pay me the $10,000 a month retainer, but in, in advance, I give them an NFT, which proves that they, they bought some, a service. It's, it's proof of ownership. They own one of my 10 slots for my agency. What's cool about that is yes, they're paying me $10,000 a month, $10,000 a month, $10,000 a month for my retainer. At the end of that, one use case could be if they don't want to use my service anymore and I have a wait list, they could actually sell the NFT to hmm. somebody else on the wait list, which they, that could, they can make money on that. I, as, a, as the agency owner, can take, will, will take an automatic royalty of that, means I get paid every time that NFT gets sold. And then I can bring a new user in that will then pay me a retainer, pay me a retainer, pay me a retainer, right? So that is one, one use case is it adds value. So this goes back to what the ethos of Web3 is, bringing back value to people who actually participate in the ecosystem. So that consumer that paid for the NFT upfront for your services, they can actually sell that and, re and actually extract value from the ecosystem from the next person who buys it. Maybe it's gone up. Maybe your service has been, so instead of paying 10,000, they're, they're gonna sell for $50,000. They get $50,000. That client comes in and starts paying you $10,000 because that's what the NFT says. It's what, it, what the monthly fee is. But that client that just got your services, 
that paid you retainer, this guy made $50,000 in your NFT and you took a cut of that sale as well, right? Like that's an easy use case that's probably gonna start happening sooner rather than later, right? You can do the same thing from a membership standpoint, right? Or the same thing for whatever. So like that's gonna change the way that how we have that relationship with us as the creator, as well as us as the, as the, uh, the excuse me, the service provider, as well as a person who's receiving our service, they can actually still get rewarded in our ecosystem besides just being in a one-way conversation through blockchain, through NFTs, et cetera. So that's one simple example of how that can be applied to that. The other thing that I would argue though too is this goes back to like the uh, online reputation side of things is when you, at, there's, there's tools being, I'm not going to say fully built out yet, but there's tools that are going to basically say, hey, if your company, let's say your company has a wallet, all your repute, all your clients' reputation, or excuse me, all your clients' reviews, all that stuff is going to be all inside your wallet. So anybody, anybody can view what's inside your wallet because it's on a public blockchain. So now oh. it's actually authenticated that says the only way that somebody could actually create a review is if that person actually created and sent it to that wallet, meaning they created the video and they sent it to that wallet, meaning it's, it's authenticated, meaning it's not made up, meaning it's whatever. So like there's a whole bunch of other use cases around online reputation, as well as, you, like I said, that more community building um, membership style service provider type of thing that the blockchain is going to allow us to do as well, which is going to be pretty cool. So, so everything in my wallet will be visible publicly. On, on I don't know how I feel about that. Well, so, <laughs> so, here's the thing, so here's the thing is, is there's, there's, there's a couple things here. There's, 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 you have the public blockchain, right? And so like, this is, there's, there's three types of blockchains and I'm not going to go too deep, but there's public, there's private, and there's a hybrid, but primarily we're going to talk about public here. Now in your wallet, you would have things that are basically anybody can quote unquote view those things. Now, a couple of things that can happen here. Number one, you can have more than one wallet. Okay. Right. So you can have a wallet that no one knows anything about that they can look in it, but they're gonna be like, I have no idea who actually owns that wallet. There's nothing that's that's actually there. But on top of that, when we start talking right now, we're talking about blockchain with like, you know, pictures and things being stored in that. But think about this. What another like big use case for blockchain is healthcare. So like one of the big problems right now with healthcare is if I leave one doctor and go yeah. to another doctor. I got to call that doctor to say, hey, get all my records, send them over to this doctor over here, Such and hopefully that everything gets sent over right there or insurance or whatever. If that's stored in the blockchain, all I got to do is disconnect my quote unquote wallet from that doctor, go connect it to this doctor or this insurance company, and they get access to all my data because I gave them the access, right? Now, that data is not going to be publicly viewed, right? So like there's, like, there's going to be types of information that's not going to be publicly visible with that, right? But like an NFT, Justin Bieber has a wallet. I can go look and see what NFTs he owns, right? I can go see what other NFTs that other famous people own if I know what their wallets are. But there's there's other data that's not going to be visible that like that just aren't stored in those specific wallets, right? So that's what we call like there's going to be this thing that you're going to hear about like wallet management, which is like you just have to be smart with how you actually control or how you like what you put in the wallet. But like I know California is working on um um, IDs, like, like driver's license on the blockchain as well, right? Like you're not going to put my driver's license number on there. So anybody to be able to go rep, like, so there's things that aren't going to be visible like that. So when we talk about public blockchain, we're really talking about like ownership and things, things that like these, these NFTs that you own right now, it's going to eventually evolve, but there's going to be some sort of permissions that, that aren't going to be completely visible or, and, or they will kind of mask who actually owns it, but without, with, with, uh, if you're, if your wallet's not connected, because you actually give people permission to view what's in your wallet when you connect your wallet. Okay.
All right. So we connect it to AI and the relationship between the two, especially over the last six months. I feel like as, at least from an outside perspective, as more of us have talked about AI, it seems like, you know, blockchain has been pushed to the side, at least for the mainstream, mainstream business owners. Yeah. Yeah. So AI is been around longer than blockchain. I'm just going to put it like that. Right. And, and obviously I won't go too far into the technology adoption curve, but there's the, there's the, you know, the innovators, the early adopters, and then we're in there we're the early majority stage. And we, that early adopter, the early majority stage, we call it crossing the chasm, right? That's when things become mainstream. That's what chat GPT did. Uh, open AI with chat GPT as their, as their product did in November is it made it across that chasm, right? Like literally yeah. they are the fastest internet app ever. Like they got over hundred million users in two months. It took Instagram, I think two years and it took TikTok nine months to hit hundred million users and they did it in two months. Right. Oh. So like that's as crazy as that adoption was. So of course that is what media is running with. That is, that is the whole, that is everybody's talking about. There's a lot of buzz around that. So what happens now is AI generative AI, when we're talking about the text and the audio and the video, which is kind of the um, chat GPT, there's a whole bunch of different types of AI, but that's where everybody wants to talk about now. Um, that has been the forefront and that is going to be the forefront for the next, I would say year to 12 to 18 months, because it's, it's the newest cool kid on tape. But what's actually happening underneath all this stuff is the blockchain is going to it, like, when I say, when we were talking about web three being the new internet blockchain is that backbone. That is what the internet is built on top of. So AI, all this stuff that we're talking about is going to play into what app, what software and tools are built on top of the blockchain and what kind of content is created on top of that. So, and let me give you an example here in about at this recording here in about a month, um, Apple's going to announce that they're going to have these new mixed reality goggles, right? They kind of look like ski goggles, right? I think they're called reality pro. I think you remember the name. That's their play on virtual reality with, with AR, with augmented reality. All this VR stuff, AR stuff, mixed reality stuff. It's, 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 it's coming. It's going to take a while for us to get to the ready player one level that everybody wants to think about when we talk about VR and AR. But one of the biggest things that's holding it back is to hardware, which I think Apple, I think this is Jordash Johnson's personal opinion. What Apple is going to do with, uh, with, the, with the headset is what they did with the iPhone back in 2007. Because if you remember in 2007, prior to that, we had Blackberries, we had the Nokia's, we had a smart, quote unquote, smartphones. We had side, T-Mobile sidekicks and all that stuff before the iPhone came out. And the iPhone was like, came out and it was like, oh, we're charging $650, which was crazy then. Cause like a Blackberry was only $200 or 250 back then, right? And Razors, everybody had the Razor phone, which was like a hundred dollar phone. We're like, holy crap, like you're never going to be successful. And then look at what iPhone is now. So when we, with Apple coming out with these goggles, when you look at Oculus that Facebook owns now with their VR headsets, they're about 300 bucks. You can get their normal one or a thousand for their pro version. Apple's going to come out and say, hey, we're charging $3,000 for this first iteration. We're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. But what Apple does very, very well is design and user experience and all the other stuff. But here's the thing that's missing still. For any of these hardwares, this hardware is catching up. For any of this to be successful, you need 3D content. And there's going to be a gold rush on 3D content. Mm, and, yeah. right, and right now, if you think about any sort of 3D content, it is a specialized skill, meaning you got to, it's a learning curve, right? Like you got to do some, some crazy, you have to have some crazy skills, not just graphic design, but like amazing skills. And what I'm saying is, and I've seen tools out there already being built right now is 
AI is going to make it, it's going to remove that, that, that skill set barrier to create this 3D content that's going to be relevant in the AR world and the VR world. And it's going to make it for the average everyday user to start being able to create 3D content and AR content and VR content, which is going to spring load people being able to create software applications like the app store and things like that, which we need to create an ecosystem around these hardware devices for us to actually start adopting this stuff. And so that's where I see AI playing a huge role in this technology, this next step of this, but all this stuff, the metaverse, AR, VR, all this stuff is going to be built eventually on top of the blockchain, majority of it. I'm not gonna say everything's going to be built on it, but all this stuff. So like, yes, blockchain may not be front and center right now, which is fine. AI, yeah. I'm glad AI is right now because it's moving people forward because now people are like, oh my gosh, like we actually, if you think about before A, before ChatGPT came out, there hasn't been any big consumer, huge AI or, or technology like thing that has really come out. There's just been slow iterations, like obviously, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm going to jump some years, but like, I'll go back to the Uber and Lyft and the sharing economy, right? There, that was a kind of big shift, right? And then an Airbnb, I was, I was joking around just this week with my mom, I was like, Mom, remember when you were going up, you told us never to get in cars with strangers. And now we just get in cars with strangers or we stay at strangers' houses right now, right? Like, so it's just like, like that's the that's that's shifting consumer behavior, right? Same thing's gonna happen with this blockchain stuff. It's just we just it's it's too much technology right now for for the for the average person to, to realize it. And there's not enough use cases built in. But I promise you, in two, three, four years, you're gonna look back and be like, you're not even gonna know things are running on the blockchain. And 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 there's gonna be AI behind the scenes that are running all this stuff or creating content very effectively for us content creators, service providers, etc. So that's that's one side of the the thing that I look at where blockchain and AI and Web three all are gonna kind of merge together is the content creation side of things. The other thing though is, and this is something we've already, there's already quite a bit of discussion around when it comes to AI is authenticity, right? How are we going to start distinguishing what is AI generated versus what is actually human generated, whether that's Mm -hmm. content, whether that is, you know, videos, deep fakes, all this other stuff, right? So Sam Altman, which is the CEO of OpenAI, um, he also has another company called uh, WorldCoin. If you go to worldcoin.org.org, and they, their whole initiative is creating verified digital profiles of humans in a sense. It's kind of black mirrors to be honest, if I'm being honest, but like, um, but like that is their whole initiative to be able to say like, Hey, like, how do we, he sees a problem is how do we actually start in here in the, in the, in the near future, we're going to start asking ourselves, how do we actually verify who's a, who is a human online? Like, and I'm, and I'm being dead serious. I have a, yeah. A video I've made and I've, I've been sharing in turn. I'm probably gonna post on TikTok here pretty soon of like, I've cloned my AI voice and it's pretty damn close. Like yeah. I say, Hey, which one A or B, which one's my real voice, which is my AI. And I'm telling you, majority of people cannot tell the difference. Wow. So when, if you think about that, I can legitimately take chat GPT. I could create a whole podcast episode script on chat GPT. If I wanted to, I could take my AI clone voice I could clone it. I could record it through my AI clone voice. I can create AI music for my intro for my podcast. I can do a voiceover in AI. I could create a whole podcast purely on AI right now if I wanted to. Eventually, I'm going to be able to do it in videos. So like, we're going to have to come to a point where it's like, how do I verify that it was human generated versus AI generated? And I don't know if there's... I, I don't know how big of a problem it's going to be. Like if it's good content, it's good content. Like we, I think even with human content, there's still misinformation and value. Like there's like, there's still problems with that. I'm not saying human information is perfect, 
But that's where also where I see blockchain and NFTs are going to start coming to play. This, I was having a conversation before we started recording this with another group that I'm in. And we were, we were talking about there's these things called soul bound tokens, which we won't get into, but it basically verifies once a, 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 an NFT in a sense is in a, in a wallet, it can't be moved, right? That's kind of what your passport would be if we ever move our passports or our driver's license to the blockchain. And what happens now is eventually it's going to probably get to a point where it's like, hey, unless content comes from this wallet, which is tagged with something, you can't believe if it's if it's not that person, right? Like if you think about it, like I just saw this just this morning, Spotify removed 14 million AI generated songs from their platform. Oh my gosh. 14 million. That's crazy. And this is like, what sounds like Drake. It sounds like Tupac. Yeah. It sounds like, so like we got to figure out a way to authenticate like who, if, if, if you're a celebrity or a famous person or you have a client that's an influencer or you are an influencer, at some point in time, people, if you're big enough, people are going to start, putting stuff out there like it's from you and it's going to be hard to distinguish it, right? Which can be scary. So there's going to have to be something that's, and this is where, this is a beautiful thing about this technology of blockchain, which proves digital ownership of also saying who actually created it. We're going to be able to have a tool to be able to say, if it didn't come from this, it's probably not this person's stuff, right? Unless their wallet was hacked somehow or whatever like that. That's going to be another problem that AI, it's, I always say, when we have new solutions, we create new problems, right? This is a problem that the AI is creating, but I think we're going to have, this is where the, the blockchain and or NFTs or types of NFTs that are going to solve that problem or help alleviate that problem, which is going to show authenticity of what is actually legitimate content created or legitimate ticket stubs or whatever like that. Like if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you guys know the fiasco of, of Ticketmaster when all that stuff went down, right? I, I, I'm sitting here watching this stuff. I'm like, you know what's funny? That is a perfect use case of what the blockchain and an NFT could have solved all that, right? Like, because she could have easily issued an NFT to anybody that was on the pre-sale tickets and they could just logged in and swap that out for the real ticket versus crashing Ticketmaster servers and playing, paying exorbitant amounts of fees and all the other stuff, right? So like, there's a whole bunch of different use cases in, in, in our society of how we operate that blockchain is going to change, like is going to fundamentally change how we do business and how we interact. And so that's why I always like going back to your question of like, yeah, blockchain may not be getting the headlines now, but they, it has its hands in a lot of different industries and areas. And in pretty soon you're going to, like I said, you're going to be, you're not even going to realize some of the stuff this technology is actually running um, in our world and in our life. So. That's amazing. And I want to share before we wrap, just a couple of resources. If you have recommendations to go deeper, right. You just, this is now I'm like, okay, gotta go deeper. Yeah. More. So if you have, you know, a paid one that you offer, if you have a free resource that you recommend, that'd be really helpful for people who just want to geek out on this. Yeah, totally, totally. So I have a, um, I have a group, a community, I call it, um, that we get together once a week and we talk about what's happening in this, in this web three, cool. web three, we call them web three pillars in this web three space. So it's called the web three bridge, um, the web three bridge.com is you can go to, you can join, um, our community. So we meet once a week, we talk about that stuff. I have trainings on like web three, one-on-one blockchain, one-on-one. So my whole goal is to, I always say it, my goal is to remove the hype out of all this technology. And let's talk about the actual fundamentals and things. And then we always connect the dots to the entrepreneur world and things like that. So, um, definitely would love to, if you guys want to join and nerd out about this stuff, more than happy to jo uh, have you join us there. Um, the 
other thing is get on my email list because, um, you know, I put a lot of free content out there as well. So if you go to jordashjohnson.com and just drop your email on my email list, um, you're going to get good goodness around technology and emerging tech and things like that as well. Um, I'll be coming out with a newsletter here very, very shortly around this stuff as well to help remove the hype out of all, all this tech that's being built around us that may be invisible now, but is going to really shape how we do business and how we interact with our, with our community and our members, which is going to be fun. So. Awesome. And any final words uh, from, you know, a former agency owner to creatives, freelancers, copywriters listening, if they are feeling excited, but maybe a little overwhelmed by what you shared. So overwhelm is normal. It is like, it's, it it just, just, just know um, it's going to be normal just because you got to remember, this is something new, right? And this is stuff that we're, it's, it's actively being built as we're kind of wrapping our head around. So I always thought like web three is still a ball of clay. Like we're still figuring out use cases and figuring out what can be used and what does it make sense and things like that. So you're never going to have, you're never going to have your head wrapped around everything because this, this, this space is changing all the time. But what I encourage you to do is put yourself in uncomfortable, overwhelmed situations. Meaning even if you don't know what, even if you heard me talking about today, I, I, I give you kudos for even listening because you're like, I just opened up. I planted a seed in your head. That's all my whole goal is to start planting seeds. And you may not have any idea what this thing is, what it means, but maybe it's the first time you heard the word blockchain or web three or AI or whatever. You didn't realize AI has been around for 50 years or 60 years, right? Like, so all these things are like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me now, but at least I was exposed to that, but it's going to start putting, creating a pattern of dots, right? And one of my favorite uh, Steve Jobs quotes is, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? And so one of the things I would just encourage you to do is put yourself in situations where people are talking about this and just listen, just listen. Eventually, you're going to start being able to ask questions and just be curious, but just be prepared. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be confused, but it's okay. And this is why I tell people in my, in my community, I'm like, just stick with me. I promise you in, in, in two or three months, you're going to be like, holy crap, I actually know what I'm talking about. Cause somebody's going to, you're going to be in another, another like conversation and be like, wait, I know what blockchain is. Wait, I know what web three is. Wait, I know what this NFT stuff is. I may not know all the stuff, but I can actually, it, it, it somewhat makes sense in my head, which is a lot further than if you just think like an NFT is a crazy monkey picture or something like that as well. Right. Like there's, there's all these things. So I just encourage you don't bury your head in the sand. Like that is because here's the thing. This technology is being built, whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, is being built around you. And the sooner you start exposing yourself to this, the sooner you're going to get over that learning curve of overwhelm. And the sooner you're going to be able to start taking advantage of the opportunity once it presents itself. And I'll tell you, you may not implement a blockchain or an NFT in your business for a year or maybe two years, but it's okay because at least you have a fundamental understanding of what this is. I always tell people, are you on YouTube? Yeah, I'm on YouTube. Well, don't you wish you were on YouTube since 2005? Well, yeah. Well, what's happened in 2005? People are like, well, I'm not getting on YouTube. I don't know how to use this. I don't like, this is confusing me. This is what it is. Like, it's always confusing in the beginning, right? Think about how many people weren't on TikTok because, oh, that, that's just 13 year olds dancing on TikTok, right? Now it's like, oh, wait, my audience is on there. Oh, wait, I wish I had 2 million people because I started early. All I'm telling you is if the earlier you understand these technology shifts, and understand what's going on and get comfortable with it, the sooner you're going to be applied and the sooner you apply it, the bigger advantage you're going to have taken advantage of it and implement it in your business, however you see fit in the future. So I'm just going to tell you, get uncomfortable, get comfortable being uncomfortable and don't let overwhelm 
um, prevent you from being exposed to this stuff because like I said, it's happening, whether and there's, there's no stopping it. it's happening regardless if you want it um, or not, or regardless of what the headlines say as well, because you gotta remember <laughs> there's news out there that, you know, with FTX and the crypto and all this other stuff. And, and, and I always want to tell people separate it, like cryptocurrencies and all those and the frauds that are happening in the space. I always tell people, if you were around in the early 2000s, I can tell you how many people told me I'm never going to buy anything on the internet. The internet's a scam. I'm never going to put my credit card on the internet. The internet's a scam. There's scammers out there. And now we pay with our watch. Now we pay with our phone. Now we don't even think twice about that, right? So we go through this period of people take advantage of the early state, the wild, wild west days, which is, you know, scammers and people taking advantage of people and all that other stuff. It happens and it's going to happen. It's happening in the web three space, but eventually it's going to get cleaned up and eventually we're going to have amazing technology going to do. So I'm just going to encourage you to keep an open mind, um, find trusted resources and sources to, to stay, to keep you in the conversation and eventually start asking questions and be curious. Once you're doing that, you're set up for success as long as you, you know, stay on top of it. That's amazing. Thank you. Great final advice. I really appreciate everything you shared. This is an, a masterclass. So thank you so much, Jordash. It's so much fun. I appreciate you having me. It's so much fun to uh, serve your audience as well. Before we wrap, I am curious, Rob, how do you think about Web3? You know, what excites you when you think about it? Yeah, well, you said this when we introduced this episode is it's sometimes it's hard to wrap your arms around what Web3 is. And, you know, we've seen things like blockchain and cryptocurrencies and all of that. And people have been predicting that that stuff is going to take over. And it hasn't really yet. The most interesting part of this, though, is we talk so much about LLMs, language models, and the kinds of AI that are intersecting with Web3 and going to make some of these technologies possible are even different kinds of uh, artificial intelligences. And so while we're focused kind of on our corner of the web and how it's impacting copywriters, creatives, content writers, those kinds of things, AI is so much bigger and what it's going to do with what is called Web3 is game changing in so many ways. So we definitely need to keep our eyes on it. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's so many headlines that I you know I get distracted by in the news about kind of like the dark side of Web3. And so I think it's really important to listen to, you know, experts like Jordash who are actively working in this space to understand what is happening here because like he says in the interview this is happening anyway the foundation for web3 is being built with us or without us and so it's our job to understand where the money's going follow the money where is it being invested and follow that to figure out what's happening in the space because it's going to feel like it's going to feel like it's going to sneak up on us fast yeah. if we're not paying attention and then we're going to be even more confused and other service providers and entrepreneurs are going to just take off when they've been paying attention to the space and really understanding how that affects the services we offer, the value we provide, the problems we're solving. And so let's not get distracted by AI. Let's continue to understand what's happening there. That's why we created this podcast. But let's also pay attention to the foundation of the internet and what's happening with Web3, even if it's not getting all the positive press or all the attention in the headlines, there's so many opportunities too. And you know, he talked about 3D content creation using AI tools and how like that could be a whole different direction for some copywriters to move into that space. So there are lots of opportunities. Instead of talking about everything that's being taken away from us, I think this is the opportunity to focus on what we're being given with Web3.
Yeah, so, so many opportunities. All right, we want to thank Jordash for joining us on the podcast to talk about the evolution of Web3 and what it means in relation to our creative businesses and artificial intelligence. And once again, if you want to jump into our AI for Copywriters course, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. That's the number four C. And that's the end of this episode of AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, a Copywriter Club podcast produced by Brandon Burton. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comment below to let us know your favorite takeaway from the show. And if you haven't listened to our other podcast, check out the Copywriter Club, which you can also find on any streaming platform that streams podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.